You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Suppose today, God forbid, you were killed and you should find yourself before the gate of heaven and God should ask you, what right do you have, Mike, to enter my heaven? How would you respond? And what would you say? Some of us, I fear, would talk about their works. Well, you know, uh, you can open up the pearly gates and let me in because I'm a pretty good person. Most religions teach that your good deeds must outweigh your bad deeds in order to get into heaven when you die. Christianity is the only religion that doesn't focus on what you can do to get into heaven, but on what God himself did for you. As Pastor Mike continues his teaching series through the book of Genesis, he'll be encouraging you to hold fast the basic truths of the gospel and to reject any false teaching that says the sacrifice of Jesus alone isn't enough for salvation. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 15 as he continues his message, Accounted Righteous. so many questions, I'm sure, about this one who was to come, that God had spoken to him about. But that, again, makes his faith only more spectacular. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, verse 13, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 is a hall of faith chapter, and we have there mentioned many of the, you know, the heroes, uh, particularly of the Old Testament, and Uh, their faith and how they placed their faith in God and how they overcame because of their faith. Well, notice it goes on to declare here, and this would apply then to Abraham as well, but not only to Abraham, but all of the Old Testament saints. These all died in faith. This was before Christ came. This is a reference to those Old Testament saints that are mentioned there in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 that make up the Hall of Faith chapter. And Paul, who I believe is the uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, says they all died in faith, not having received the promises. That is, Christ hadn't come yet. But having seen them afar off, in other words, God had spoken to those individuals, and were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims upon the earth. So again, the absence of all of the things that we have, all of the advantages that are ours, the New Testament saints, 
which would include us as well. It only makes Abraham's faith more spectacular. Now, that brings us, so that's what Abraham believed in. He believed in the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Now, that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is all the saints of old. So if you're taking notes, write that down. There's only two points this morning. All the saints of old. Listen, it's not only Abraham who in the Old Testament was justified by faith in Jesus Christ, but it's all the saints of old. For example, consider Jacob. And if you had the opportunity, and you know, how cool is this? One day we're actually going to meet Jacob in heaven, right? And I got a lot of questions for Jacob. Jacob is really an interesting character study, isn't he? And uh, when we're first introduced to him, he's recommended to us as the heel catcher, the conniver, right? Guy who lived by his wits. But at the same time, it was sort of like a mama's boy. You know, when we're first introduced to uh, Abraham, he's in his mom's kitchen alongside of her cooking up meals and stuff. Where his brother, his twin brother Esau, was a man's man, right? And when we're first introduced to Esau, he's out in the field hunting, you know, for his food. Kind of a guy that all of us as men would like to identify with, right? And uh, Jacob is an interesting character study. But listen, he was the kind of a guy that you would never want to come up against. Because he would rip you, if he had the opportunity, he would absolutely rip you off. He would have made a good used car salesman, you know. <laughs> he would have been great at that. But anyway, if you had the opportunity to, and one day you will, but I got a lot of questions for him. Like, for example, you know, the angel that he wrestled with that night before he had the encounter with his brother Esau, who had intentions in his hearts to kill him. You know, what was that like? And was it, in fact, a theophanies? Was it Jesus Christ, whom he had wrestled with that night? Got him to the place of crying out uncle, by the way, as well. And uh, so anyway, I got a lot of questions for uh, Jacob. But if we had the opportunity now to ask Jacob, hey, Jacob, on what basis were you saved? He would say, well, of course, you know, it's because of my outstanding character and my ancestry. I mean, after all, I bore 12 sons, which later on became the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was through my loins that Israel even existed. But then, you know, again, as I mentioned, that, you know, that's the... The, the bright side of Jacob's life. But then there was the dark side as well. The conniver, the heel catcher, the supplanter, the guy who would rip you off, you know, if given the opportunity, right? But he would nevertheless say, it's not because of my outstanding character, and it's not because of my ancestry, you know, my father Abraham, but it's rather because... I had placed my faith in the ruler who is also the Savior to come. You say, now how do I know that? Well, let's appeal to Genesis chapter 49 in verse 10 because we're told exactly that. In Genesis chapter 49 in verse 10, this is what God, we've already considered what God had spoken to Abraham in the book of Galatians in chapter 3, but this is exactly what God had spoken to who? Jacob. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. Who's Shiloh? 
He's referring to Jesus. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Listen, no question, no doubt, Jacob understood this completely. This was a reference to the Savior, who was Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was to come. So, if you asked Jacob the question, on what basis were you saved? He would have told you in response, my faith was in the ruler who is also the Savior to come. Okay, let's consider another Old Testament uh, biblical character. How about Moses? And if we had the opportunity to visit with Moses, and once again, one day we will have that opportunity, and you ask him the same question, hey, Moses, on what basis were you saved? And of course, he would respond, well, you know, I was the lawgiver. God had entrusted me with the Ten Commandments. I was a leader. I was a minister. I led God's people to the very borders of the land of promise, the land of Canaan. Yeah, but uh, Moses, let me remind you that you were also a murderer, right? Remember, one day he went out into the field to just check out how things were going. And there was this altercation between the taskmaster and one of his fellow Jews. And he looked to the left and he looked to the right. And when no one was looking, he slew the taskmaster. He slew the Egyptian. Remember, he was a murderer, right? So think about that. You know, but, and again, the, the, where I'm going with all of these examples, uh, giving you the positive and the negative to show that even the positive wasn't good. All of these men had their inconsistencies. All of these men, these great heroes of the faith of the Old Testament were sinners just like you and like me. So how then would Moses respond to the question, on what basis were you saved? He would respond by saying, I was saved on the basis of Christ's work and not my obedience to the law. You see, Moses also knew that Jesus would come and be his deliverer, and he looked forward to that day. Now you say, how do I know that? Well, i got to take you to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 18, in verses 17 and 18. And this is what God had spoken to Moses. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up them a prophet like you. Now who's the prophet? It's Jesus from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command them. You see that? So Abraham understood this completely. He knew exactly what God was referring to. Let me give you another example of this. How about David? Man, I'm taking the cream of the crop here, right? Jacob, Moses, David. Now David, if you were to ask David the same question, okay, David, how were you saved? Well, he would respond by saying, hey, well, listen, God's estimation of me, if you remember, I'm a man after his own heart. Oh, right, that's the positive, you see. I'm a man after God's own heart. And this would suggest to us that this was someone who thought and acted as God would act, because after all, he was a man after God's own heart. But the truth be told, and here's the negative side, now the dark side of David's life, he was an adulterer, and he was a murderer as well. To cover up his sin and his adultery with Bathsheba, he killed her husband, Uriah. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. You see, no one is saved by what he or she does. 
A person is simply saved by placing their faith in the Savior. Now, how do we know that David knew in his heart and placed his faith in Christ as the Lord and Savior of his life? Well, 2 Samuel chapter 7, in verses 16 through 19. And your house, now this is God speaking to David. He says, in your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Who's going to establish that, by the way? It's Jesus. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan, Nathan was the prophet at that time, spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? He had this revelation. Have you ever had those kinds of experiences where you just, you know, you just depart from everybody, everyone else, and you just sit there overwhelmed, right? You're having this revelation, and it's just you and God, and you're just kind of blown away. I hope that you have those kinds of experiences regularly. You know, it might come in the form like uh, Will shared a great example of that when he realized that God had, had spoken to him and he had a, a real encounter with the living God in that moment, right? It's like a, you're just caught up in the rapture of all of it, and you just sit there. You know, like, for example, I, I'll give you an example of this. Maybe you can relate to this one. Have you ever been in a place where you think, Tomorrow, it's lights out, for whatever reason. Maybe a poor choice that you made. And now you're just waiting for the ax to fall. And tomorrow is the day. And so you get up in the morning thinking that the worst is going to happen. Maybe it's at your place of employment. You think you're going to get fired. Uh, you're going to lose all of your benefits. You're thinking, how am I going to pay the bills? My kid's tuition the mortgage payments, you know, or whatever. You fill in the blank. A problem of your own doing, maybe some sin, a poor choice, whatever, and you're expecting the worst. And then you go back into work that day. Rather than finding the worst, you find the best. And you know that you can only explain what just took place by placing God behind it. And you just sit there in awe and you realize truly you are a child of God. And it was God who went before you. And rather than it being a burden, it became a blessing. Have you ever been there before? And you're just enraptured. And you just sit there like, sort of like dumbfounded. But it's just, a, it's just a great experience, right? And it's just you with God alone, and you're just worshiping him. And you realize that, man, there wasn't anything that... And, and this is what grace is all. It's in that moment where you begin to understand something about grace. I got to tell you something. There are so many Christians throughout their entire Christian experience that never come to a real understanding of what grace is. But it's in moments like that, when you know you're undeserving, where you've blown it royally, the result of your sin, the poor choice, you said something that you shouldn't have said, you've done something that you shouldn't have done, you went somewhere where you should have never been, you know, and rather than experiencing the worst, God goes before you and you receive a blessing. What's that called? It's the undeserved favor of God. It's called grace. And that's exactly what's going on here. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Remember, David, of all of the members of his family, was considered the least. 
When Samuel went down to anoint the new king over Israel, as he'd been instructed by God to do so, remember Jesse, his father, had brought all of his other sons out, and one by one, they were disqualified, right? And uh, don't you have any more sons? Oh, yeah, I got this one kid. You know, he's got his head in the clouds. Well, where is he? He's, uh, you know, singing with the sheep on the side of the mountain kind of a thing. David, the least likely of candidates. Think about that. He went from that the, the lowest position to the highest position as the king over Israel. At that time, one of the most powerful nations upon the face of the earth. And so David is just simply overwhelmed. And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? So he absolutely understood what God was saying to him about a savior who would continue the kingdom, who is Jesus the Lord. And he would have, if asked that question by you, he would have responded and said, I believe that and I trusted in Christ's work. I'm in heaven now because of what he did and only through faith in him. Now, this morning, let's bring this down to personal terms. Let me ask you this question. On what basis do you expect to obtain your salvation? And what's your hope to enter heaven? I mean, suppose today, God forbid, you were killed and you should find yourself before the gate of heaven. And God should ask you, what right do you have, Mike, to enter my heaven? How would you respond? And what would you say? Some of us, I fear, would talk about their works. Well, you know, uh, you can open up the pearly gates and let me in because I'm a pretty good person and I've done a lot of noteworthy things in my life. You know, I was the pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship. And over those many years, thousands of people walked through our doors. We had countless opportunities to share the gospel with the people here in the metropolitan area. I'm a pretty good person, you know, been faithful to my wife, been married for over 43 or 44 years now, raised five kids, got five grandchildren. I've never done anything real bad. That is since I've been a Christian. <laughs> and I've done the best that I could possibly do. Well, that's not good enough. Because in the book of Romans in chapter 3, in verse 20, I'm going to ask you to, to all of you turn there and then just keep your uh, marker there for a moment because there's a couple other cross-references that I'm going to share. So if in answering that question, I offer these things as the reasons why God should allow me to enter into his heaven, Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is only the knowledge of sin. And that's it. We're not justified by the law. We're not justified by the keeping of the law, by the works of the law. And I would remind you exactly who it was that wrote this particular book of the Bible. If there was anyone who could boast in the law... It would have been Paul. You know, think about uh, in the book of uh, Philippians when he lays out all of the advantages that were his under the Old Testament law. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. 
He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was schooled in the great rabbinical schools in the city of Jerusalem and said under the teaching of the great rabbi Gamaliel. Think about that. He said on the uh, Sanhedrin, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, he was given license and letters to go throughout the world to squash this new movement called Christianity, to bring them back, these Christians, back to Jerusalem to stand trial. He was a persecutor, right? You know, think of all of the events. And he says, all of those things I count as dung or as refuge, that I might have the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. So in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, he writes, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Now, others might, when confronted with the same question, okay, that was me. I offer those explanations. Now, Patty comes behind me, and he's standing before the gate, and God asks him the same question. You know, what right do you have to enter into my heaven? And, uh, you know, Patty might just stand there and say nothing, which would be absolutely the right response. Because notice in Romans chapter 3, not that he isn't a great guy. Man, here's another guy who's made a lot of great contributions over the years to our fellowship. But in Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, just back up one verse, Paul tells us there. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. In other words, you know, there's none of us that can keep the Ten Commandments. So there's nothing that I can offer as an explanation of why, on the basis of keeping the law, that I have the right to enter into God's heaven. So in the day of judgment, every mouth will be shut. Every mouth will be silenced. The only acceptable answer is the one which Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David and all the other saints of the Old Testament and New Testaments as well have given. My right to heaven is simply on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for me. He died for me. He died for you. He died in our place. And we put our trust in him. In his finished and complete work. We're resting in that work. God the Father is resting in that work. And thus I stand before God the Father, not in my own sin and righteousness, but rather in the person of Jesus Christ. So, is that your answer? If God, as you were standing before the gates of heaven, and he asked you the same question, would that be your answer? Listen, it's the only way that God will accept us. In my father's house there's a place for me. In my father's house where I long to be. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, 
it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.